It's to that good shepherd that we come today. It's to the one who laid down his life for the sheep. It's for the one that even though he was the great I am, chose to give his life. And so, Lord Jesus, I want to pray that you will presence yourself mightily in this gathering. Just as we saw in this last gathering, Lord, we're praying for a tangible sense of your love and for your presence as we contemplate the most important thing that ever happened, the death and even the resurrection of Jesus. Will you bless us? We pray for the Holy Spirit to presence himself mightily in this place as we continue to worship you through the word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Um, things are a bit different. You're used to quite a few more songs of worship. Uh, but things are a bit different because we're here on a good Friday. And I want to say welcome to everyone who might be visiting or new here. You are massively welcome. I hope you do feel welcome here. Uh, my name is James, by the way, and uh, it's going to be a great time. If you're a regular, we also love you as well. You're also important to us. And uh, this is a very, very good Friday because we are celebrating the thing that split history in half. Even if you're an atheist, you've got to acknowledge the fact that Jesus has divided our timelines. And as a Christ follower, we look at the most significant historical thing that happened. And even though on Sunday we're going to celebrate that Jesus is risen from the grave, today is a little bit more somber and weighty as we consider that Jesus laid down his life for us on the cross. And so it's appropriate that things are a bit more weighty as we consider the cost of the great I am giving his life. And we are preaching this Easter and after Easter as well from the perspective of the I am statements in John's gospel. You will have heard Dekelo just read one of them, but Lester kicked off the series last week and he looked at before Abraham was, I am. And one of the things we saw is when Jesus makes these statements I'm the good shepherd, I'm the light of the world, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, I'm the true vine. What he is hearkening back to is an exodus where God revealed his holy name to Moses and he said, I am the I am. People recognize it's a holy name, Yahweh. So holy, Jewish people cannot write it nor speak it. And when Jesus says, I am, and then he follows it up, he is saying nothing less than I am the great I am, Yahweh, God himself. And so we see that Jesus didn't make statements as if he was a moral teacher. He spoke as if he was God. He displayed that he was God. And so who do you say that he is? And so that's the series that we're in. And today we're looking at I am the good shepherd. You will have heard that read. And it's a bit of a different deal here today because my job is to like orient our hearts so when we go to that table of communion that our hearts are right and that when we go there we see the full extent of how Jesus paid for all of our sin and so it's actually just a simple message today heading number one is the good shepherd and we're going to pull out some things there and heading number two where we'll spend most of our time is how he's the one who lays down his life and we're going to look at the historical details in the Gospels of that. And so if you're taking notes, we're going to go through heading number one. Just pull a few things out from this text that Tekelo read from the Good Shepherd. Now, the problem with Jesus calling himself as a shepherd means that we are sheep, scarpies, smelly, 
not intelligent, not the sharpest tool in the, not the sharpest livestock in the shed by any means. Not glorious animals, you might say, but I'm a lion in the Lord. Like I'm a lion from the tribe of Judah. God's like, no, calm yourself. You're just a scarpy <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. He says in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to our own way like the hardy does that made that sound. They've turned each to their own way. We like sheep, we have a tendency also to wander from the path and put ourselves in harm's way. Just like this one over here, Caleb, who's crying and leaving the room, he puts himself in harm's way, even though he can't crawl. He doesn't have the physical capability to crawl, but just with the power of his wiggle, he puts himself in harm's way. If you leave him unattended for a minute, he will find a life-threatening situation to place himself into. Spiritually speaking, this is God's summary of us, that we also find a way with our wayward hearts to stray from the path and we put ourselves in harm's way and the wolf is there waiting for us. Well, thank God, Jesus comes out and says, you know what, I know who you are. Well, I'm the good shepherd. He is the one that's gonna care for us. A few things about this good shepherd. The first one is this, that the, first, the good shepherd knows you. He says this in verse 14, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. If you've observed shepherds, you'll be amazed that they, when they're confronted by many identical looking fluffy sheep, they are able to say, this one here's Dolly, this one's fluffy, and here comes Shrek now here on the right. They know the sheep, even though they all look the same, and to a much larger degree, our good shepherd Jesus knows each and every one of us. He knitted us together in our mother's womb. He knows when we lie down. He knows when we stand up. He knows the innermost groanings of our heart. He hears the prayers that nobody knows. He sees the pain that nobody sees. We have a good shepherd who knows us, who knows us intimately well. And if you feel like you're going through, through suffering, I want you to know, even if no one on earth understands, there is a good shepherd who knows, and his name is Jesus. He went through the worst gates of pain and his scars speak to your scars. We have a good shepherd who knows us. We also have a good shepherd that seeks out the lost. Verse 16, I've got other sheep. They're not in this fold yet. I must bring them in also and they will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus was not just gonna shed his blood for the sake of Jewish people and allow only salvation for his people, the Jews, but he paid a price that was enough for every tribe, nation, and tongue to be saved. That we're gonna be a sheepfold bleating in many languages. This is the testimony of scripture. I don't know how that is. I can imagine the Australian bleat versus the South African bleat. I don't know, a causa bleat, that must be epic. I digress. Jesus shed his blood, not just for his Jewish people, but for every person that would have been born in all of eternity and everyone who will be born in all of eternity, his blood has paid the price that's enough for every person to be saved. And his eyes are seeking out for the lost. He doesn't, he doesn't ignore them. He leaves the 99. He goes after the one. His heart bleeds for the lost. His eyes seek the lost. He says, I must go and bring the lost. That's the kind of good shepherd we have. Thank God for that. We also have a good shepherd who has authority over death and over life. 
I hope you noticed in verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord, because I've got authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again, this charge I've received from the Father. Jesus says, I will lay down my life. And he isn't just saying these things. He doesn't say it in the same way that Bruno Mars says, I'll catch a grenade for you. Throw my head on a blade for you. Jump in front of a train for you. I'm not too sure if Bruno Mars has, in fact, I know he hasn't because he's still alive. (laughs) Bruno Mars says these things. Jesus doesn't just say these things. When Jesus says he lays down his life, he lays down his life. And he has authority to lay down his life. No one has authority to take it from him. It would be one thing for Jesus to say, I'll lay down my life. It's a whole nother level for Jesus to say, I'll lay down my life when I determine it's time. And it's a whole nother level for him to say, by the way, I will take up my life when I determine it's time. That means I will resurrect myself when I say so. And we cannot turn around and say, Jesus was some moral teacher as if he can be put in the camp of Krishna, Buddha, and Muhammad who spoke about a way to follow. He didn't. He said, I am God. I've got authority over death and over life. This is the great I am that we're talking about now. He has authority. So if he says he's God, either he's a liar or he's a lunatic or he's Lord. That's the trilemma from C.S. Lewis. Who do you say that he is? Three options that you've got right there. Well, our testimony is that he's Lord because he demonstrated it. He not only said these things, he did these things. The Romans didn't take his life. The Jews didn't take his life. No one has authority to do so. He lays it down of his own accord. And it says this, for this reason, the Father loves me, that I lay down my life. This is a striking thing because in John's gospel, one of the main themes is everything Jesus does displays the Father's heart. Hebrews says he's the exact imprint of the Father's heart. When Jesus heals the leper, when he dines with the prostitute, when he calls out to the tax collector, when he sees the most despicable people in society and he goes and spends time with them, it is an exact representation of the Father. All he does is with the Father's blessing, it's for the Father's glory and it's with the Father that he does these things. And there's one thing that the Father really desires and it's for the people that have turned each to their own way to be reconciled back to him. The Father loves you. He loves you so much that when Jesus volunteers and he says, I will lay down my life, the Father says, I especially love you for that. Because the Father loves you so much that He would give His one and only Son to perish and be destroyed so that you can be brought back to Him. For this reason, the Father loves me, that I lay down my life. And so we see that this is not a cheap grace on Good Friday. We see that this is not something that we can speak about flippantly because it cost the Father everything. It cost the Son everything. It cost even the Holy Spirit everything as he he forsook Jesus, the one that he knew for all eternity. And we see that this, that we're looking at at this table is a costly grace, a costly salvation that Jesus bought for us. And so for the next heading, I wanna look at the cost. I wanna go through the details because if we have a low view of salvation, we won't all have a low view of how much Jesus has set us free. 
But if we have the full view of the cost of what Jesus paid, then we will live freely indeed. And so let's look at heading number two, that he lays down his life. The way that Jesus laid down his life, for those of you that have been to many Easter's, let's remind ourselves of these details. He, rem- he laid down his life in the form of crucifixion, which was so horrendous that the Roman, that we have a word that's invented from it called excruciating, which means from the cross. It was so painful. It was the most pain, f- pain that the Romans could inflict on someone before they died. It was a method that they had perfected so that they could find the maximum pain threshold before death. What we do find with people that are crucified is they can't breathe. They die usually of asphyxiation because as they hang on the cross, they can't breathe properly. And so they would pull themselves up on their crucified hands and on their crucified feet to gasp for air. And in the effort of doing it, they would pass in and out of consciousness, sometimes for days, even up to nine. And as they were being asphyxiated, there was dizziness, cramp, thirst, starvation, sleeplessness, every moment painful, they would experience lacerated veins, crushed tendons, incessant anguish, wounds inflamed by exposure, arteries that became swollen and oppressed with surcharge blood. And the fact that the great I am went through all that and of his own accord for the sake of you and I. It tells of his great love for us and it tells us that God is good. Not just a cheesy God is good all the time, God is good. This shows you that God is good. Even though it was physically brutal in the spiritual, it's a bit worse because it's a curse to hang on a tree. In Deuteronomy 21, for a hanged man is cursed by God. An Israeli that had a family member that was crucified would not even come to claim the body for burial because the, the person was considered cursed. And so they would disown the family member. There would be no honor, no memory, and they would be wiped from the family's tree because a hanged man is a cursed man. Is that any way fit for the King of Kings and for the Lord of Lords to die? Crucifixion was also public. It happened on the highways. Sometimes in one instance, after one loss, there were 6,000 people that were crucified. And they lined up a distance as likened from here to Polokwane on the N1. Crucifixion was common and it was public. And it was so public, it was done in the most, they even made it to coincide with religious festivals so the maximum people could see the brutality and fear the Roman government. And as Jesus and others were crucified, it would have been like you going to checkers to do shopping and in the parking lot, someone is gasping for air and bleeding, they're lost. That's what crucifixion would have been like. There was humiliation and shame in it. The night before Jesus was crucified, it said that he was scourged. In Matthew 20, it said they delivered him to the Gentiles to mock, to scourge, and to crucify this is really bad. That would have been the cat and nine tails. The picture's gonna come up behind me. There were these hard balls that their purpose was to tenderize the flesh of the person being crucified so that the hooks that were made out of bone or metal would be able to sink into the flesh and rip whole chunks of flesh off of the back of the man. 
often organs were ripped out with the force of the scourging. It was common that they never made it to the cross because they were killed at the scourge. And then the Roman officers often died and were executed for not doing their job properly. The scourging was so bad and they laid the person out and they held their hands above the post so that they could be exposed on their back so that the the flesh could be adequately ripped out. But in the final analysis, it was not the stone that held Jesus' hands there. He was determined to pay the full penalty for your sin. It was his love for you that drove him there to take lashing upon lashing of his flesh being ripped out because he was determined to see you made whole. The love of God is on display. When we look at the scourging, We see one who loves us so much that he would take that for us. After that, it said that he had to carry the cross. This would have been a crossbar. It was too heavy for him. He was too beaten up. Someone helped him. But the crossbar that he carried would have had the blood, the sweat, and the tears of some other common criminal that came before him. This was no special cross. And he carried it up a intersection that was busy, full of shops, full of children that would have also mocked him. And the picture is going to come up behind me as well, the Via Dolorosa, the way of the cross. You can walk those streets today where our Savior stumbled up that hill. But I need you to know that it wasn't because of the Romans that he had to carry this cross, but that he was determined to carry the full weight of your burden and your sin and he opted and he decided and he said, I will carry this cross for you. I want you to know this wasn't just something for the Romans, this was something for you that Jesus did. Let's talk a bit about the humiliation because when he got to the top, we sung about it just now, they put a crown of thorns upon his head to mock him, what kind of king is this? mocking him. They pulled his beard out. That's the ultimate disrespect in that day. And they cursed him. They would have urinated on him. They spat in his face. They did not know that this is the great I am who loved them before they were even born. And they were doing this humiliation to him. They offered him sour wine. This is not a good thing. This is not half time and we get some wine out. This is the field kit in the Roman soldiers. They had uh, something that they used that was needed because there wasn't yet toilet paper invented. It was a stick with a sponge at the end. And when high-ranking officials went to the toilet, they would take the sponge, dip the sponge at the end of the stick into the sour vinegar, and they would clean themselves after going to the toilet. And then they put that thing that probably tasted of a Roman soldier's bowel movement into the mouth of God. The same mouth that said, let there be light and all that was made was made, was defiled. At this point in the narrative, usually I think, God, why don't you just kill them? How dare they do this? But I forget that scripture's testimony is that we've all sinned, that it was all of our sin that put Jesus there that necessitated him going to the cross, that hung him there, and that every time that I sinned, it's a defilement against the I am, and that I'm guilty of the same thing. 
If I want to point my finger at the Roman soldier who did that, I must realize I've done the very same to the great I am. The humiliation led to his feet and his hands being pierced. I don't, the most sensitive nerve centers in the body of the hands and the feet. And as that happened, Jesus, who made everything, was, he made every tree that was made, was nailed to a hunk of wood that he created by a bunch of people that he made lovingly and that he came to love and to serve and to die for. He would have seen his mother Mary. Now, as a father, maybe some of you can relate to fathers and mothers. When your child is born, you imagine what great things they will do and you love them dearly and you have dreams and aspirations for them. I know when our child was born, we count the 10 fingers, we count the 10 toes, and we say he's perfect. Praise God. How would Mary have prepared herself when the 10 fingers that she had held since he was a baby was nailed to the cross? And when the 10 toes that she had tickled and counted when he was a baby was nailed to the cross? And when her boy who was gifted, who was faithful, who was loving, was dying like a criminal, even though he was the faithful one. At this point, the, the extreme suffering and the humiliation is so bad. You think Jesus is gonna pull himself up on that cross and call down the 12 legions of angels at his disposal to kill these people. But what happens is Jesus pulls himself up they pull themselves up to bring air into their lungs, remember? But Jesus doesn't bring himself up to, to serve his own life. He pulls himself up on his crucified hands and crucified feet. And what does he choose to say to these people? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. I like to put my, my name in the verse. Father, forgive James. He doesn't know what he's doing. Even at this point, Jesus is praying for his enemies. He's interceding for them. He's not concerned about his life. He doesn't count his life as precious. He wants all of them there to be saved. He wants you to be saved. He loves you. He loves you so much. When he died, John 19 says, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. At once there came out blood and water. Jesus died. But in the final analysis, he laid down his own life. So that when he could say at the end of all that, it is finished, that it was finished. That the debt was paid. He laid down his life for all of mankind. So that we can receive mercy. Now, for many of us listening to this, we might say, I thought this was supposed to be Good Friday. <laughs> why is it good? Well, this is why it's good. Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement to bring us peace. We like sheep, we've gone astray. We've all turned to our own way, but the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. It wasn't a good Friday for Jesus. It's a good Friday for you and for me. 
because Jesus died as our substitute. We call that the doctrine of substitution. He endured everything I should have endured so that I get to enjoy everything he should have enjoyed. He became unrighteous so we can become righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he, that is God, made him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that we can become the righteousness of God. That means that God laid upon Jesus the sin and the penalty of all sins, of all people, of all time, even though he was innocent of all sin and he was there, the spotless lamb on the cross. Jesus laid, God laid upon Jesus the sin of us all. He treated Jesus as if he lived my life. He treated Jesus as if he had my record. And then God turns around and he treats me as if I had lived the life that Jesus had lived. That's why it's a good Friday. That's why it's a good shepherd, because there's a substitution that takes place. God looks at the cross, he sees you. God looks at Jesus, he sees our sin. Isn't it crazy, the substitution that Jesus did for us? It's a weighty thing that Jesus did, but it bought us our peace. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. Do you know that old hymn? It's what God is laying on my heart now. Shouldn't gain from his reward. There's no answer as to why we do. But the one thing we do know, his wounds have paid my ransom. Hebrews 12, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Jesus counted it a joy he knew the cost of the cross, but he counted the, what was on the other side. For our salvation, Jesus, for our sake, you died. He counted the cost and it was a joy for him to face the scourging. It was a joy for him to be humiliated. It was a joy for him to be beaten, mocked, and scorned, and to even have excrement in his mouth. He counted it a joy because he so loves you. And because you're so dear to him, he endured the shame. Because sin always comes with shame and none of us are innocent not even one all of us have gone astray and each gone our own way and we all carry shame but Jesus took on the shame of the cross so that all of us who might put our faith in him and turn that repent that means turn to him and ask for forgiveness from him might be washed white as snow so that we might be pardoned of everything in the past in the present in the future and carry our shame no longer praise the one who set me free death has lost its grip on me this is the kind of Jesus that we come to that's how we know he's the good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep Krishna doesn't do that Buddha doesn't do that Muhammad doesn't do that. Only Jesus does that. He's our substitute, which means this, that Jesus died so we can live. That Jesus took our guilt so we can be innocent. He took God's wrath so we can have mercy. He was cursed so we can be blessed. He was rejected so we can be accepted. He was hated, we can be loved. He was shamed so we can be unashamed. He became unrighteous so we can become righteous. And this is the reason why 
it's a good Friday. And this is the reason why he's a good shepherd. Because he stood in my place. Jesus, no other name. There's no one like the good shepherd, Jesus. And because this is a weighty kind of message, we're going to take communion and we're going to take it with the right heart. But I feel like first, we must just meditate on this. What Jesus has done for us and the extent that he went through to love us to the Father. And so the band's going to take us through a bit of because of Christ. Let these words wash over you. Let these let images of Jesus and what he did play through your brain. And let's meditate on what Jesus has done for us. And then I'm going to come and lead us in communion. spoke for me, mercy spoke for me, mercy spoke for me, it was on Gargatha's tree, his death brought liberty, his death brought liberty, his death brought liberty. May I never boast in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. May I not forget the blood he shed. It is by his death I am alive because of Christ. I am alive. What we're going to do in a moment is we're going to go to this table, which is all about the substitute of how Jesus' body was broken, how his blood was shed. And that table, that's not a denominational meal. It doesn't matter whether you're in here, Anglican, Lutheran, whatever. It's just a table where people that have put their faith in Jesus get to remember what he has done. So don't stress about that. But there's a more weighty matter today, which is whether you have received the forgiveness that Jesus paid for. Because just because Jesus paid doesn't mean we're automatically recipients of his grace. When we repent, when we turn to him and when we ask him for forgiveness, because when he said it's finished, it is finished, he washes us white as snow. He gives us a new heart. He makes us, we don't have to turn over a new leaf. We become a new tree. He makes us someone we weren't before. We don't just get a clean slate. We get a clean heart. We get a new heart and our heart beats for the things of Jesus. And he sets us free and who the son sets free, he's free indeed. And so I want to give an opportunity today for anyone that says my heart is convicted and cut up today. And I feel burdened with the weight of my sin. And I want to come to Jesus. So if you guys wouldn't mind just giving each other a moment's privacy by just bowing your heads and closing your eyes.
Don't worry about who's to your left or to your, to your right. It doesn't matter. What matters is what you have to say to God in this moment. And if anyone feels on their heart, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want the forgiveness that Jesus paid for. If that's you today and you want to make a declaration and say, I want to decide to follow Jesus. I want to make a decision to be his disciple and he will forgive you of everything and he'll make you new. If that's you today, I'm going to ask you not for my sake, but for the sake of putting a stake in the ground and making a decision to lift your hands up very high, to lift your hands up right up where, where God can see clearly the stake that you're putting in the ground. If that's you and you want to receive that forgiveness today, put your hand up high. It's not the hand that saves you. It's the faith that saves you. Thank you. I see those hands. Put your hand up nice and high. See that hand as well. See that hand as well. There's many other hands that are probably raised that I can't see in this lighting. It doesn't matter what the, the angle of your arm, what matters is the posture of your heart. So I'm gonna pray for these people, these new brothers and sisters. I'm gonna pray a prayer with you. There's no special prayer that saves you, but I'm gonna pray a prayer, pray a prayer with you. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for these hands and these hearts that are raised to you. Because these hands and these hearts are ready to make a decision to say, Jesus, we need you. We're not good enough on our own. We're carrying shame and we can't live with it. Lord, we thank you for the price that you paid for these brothers and sisters, for these hands and these hearts that are in the air. And we thank you for the fact that when they come to you, you are more willing to forgive than they are to repent. And we thank you that your grace is sufficient for the heftiest of sinners, for the chief of sinners. You paid it all through your scourging, through the crown of thorns, through your suffocation. There is no one beyond your grace. And I thank you for these new people who receive a new heart because of your unending grace that you have lavished on the cross. I choose to declare with them that we give our lives into the hands of Jesus. We submit before you, Jesus, and we say, here's our life. Let it be all for you and for your glory. Take my life and let it be yours. We thank you for the handing over of hearts to you, Jesus. And we thank you most of all that you cleanse us white as snow. These things we pray in the mighty name of our good shepherd, Jesus. Amen. Now we're gonna, we're gonna go off and take communion and we're gonna end this off on a big celebration. But what I'm gonna ask for you is, this is a family moment, not just biological family, but we're talking about family of Christ here. Yeah? And there's loaves of bread on these three stations, one, two, and three. And so what I'm gonna ask is, don't just go grab for yourself. Go and grab some bread and share it with a couple of people to your left, a couple of people to your right, even if you haven't met them before. Because this is a moment for us to celebrate together and it's for everyone who's put their faith in Jesus. And so go, go ahead, get those communion elements and then I'm gonna, we're gonna take it all together. You can do that now.
if you, if you guys have Behold the Lamb, the lyrics for Behold the Lamb, the spoken word, can you put it up? Behold the Lamb. No. Okay, no problem. If you've got your communion elements, just take your seat for now. Has everyone managed? Can I ask you guys to come and stand with me? Some of you are already there, that's all cool. You can stand with me. Some people in the room have already initiated something which is very beautiful. If you're standing there with a bunch of people and you wanna take that communion together, that's wonderful. If you wanna turn to someone that you're here with and you wanna, you wanna take it with them, you wanna put an arm around them, no problem. If you wanna take it just standing there, just you looking at Jesus, that's also fine. I put these lyrics up behind me. They're the lyrics of the spoken word. they adapted from Isaiah 53, how Jesus was pierced and wounded for our transgressions. I just wanted us to take a moment to just be quiet, just for a second. Just behold these lyrics, or just pray in your heart about this exchange. Just pray and be silent for a moment, and we're going to take this in a, in a sec. Even in this moment of silence, even though the cross is empty, it still speaks today. A testimony of victory and being cleansed of sin for you and for me. On the night that Jesus was betrayed and he was gonna go to the cross, but later he was with his disciples in the upper room and uh, they were supposed to do Passover and Jesus was kind of remixing the thing. And Jesus, was hearkening back to Exodus where the Passover was happening. And if you remember the Exodus account, that there was a day when the angel of death would come and take away the firstborn. But if someone painted the blood of a spotless lamb on the doorpost, death passed over that family and there was no death. God didn't look who was inside the house. Didn't matter how much sin they felt they had been through. What mattered was that the doorpost was painted with the blood of the lamb. In like manner, what matters today is not where you've been and what you've done. What matters is if you're covered by the blood of Jesus. 
something that's done with earnest faith in him. And when Jesus was with the guys in the upper room, he was trying to explain it to them. And he, to hold the bread up, and he was supposed to say, this is the blood of the affliction of our forefathers in Egypt, how they were bruised and how they were pierced in their time in slavery. But instead, he said, this is actually about my body, which has to be bruised and which has to be pierced for the forgiveness of sins. And so take and eat and remember how Jesus was pierced and bruised so your sins can be forgiven. After dinner, Jesus took cup number three, the cup of redemption. It was supposed to be about the Passover, but he said, guys, this is the blood of a new and everlasting covenant which will be shared for you and for all, including these brothers and sisters who just put their hands up just now to receive forgiveness of Jesus. Jesus paid the penalty for you with his blood. For every person here, he shed his blood, a new and everlasting covenant for forgiveness of sins so that we can be forgiven. So let's take, be grateful and drink and remember. But it can't stay that way. We can't stay somber when we've been set free And if we've been set free by the Son, we are free indeed. That our debt has been paid. It is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me. For whom the Son sets free, He is free indeed. If we're alive today, it's because of Christ that we're alive. And so when we lift up our hands and we lift up our voices and when we sing with all of our might, it's because of Christ that we're alive. We were dead in our trespasses, but Jesus bled and he paid the full debt so that in him we can be new. It's because of Christ that we're alive. Let's sing to him.